Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivandarotamam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Tato Chayam Udiraye We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 2, Chapter number 4. And we're taking up where we left off, which means we're starting today at text number 20. 19. Which one? 20. And it happens to be a famous verse. Shriya Patir Yagnapati Prajapatir Tiyam Patir Loka Patir Dharapati Patir Gatish Chandraka Vrishni Sattvatam Prasidatam Me Bhagavan Pati May Lord Sri Krishna, who is the worshipable Lord of all devotees, the protector and glory of all the kings like Antaka and Vrishni of the Yadu dynasty, the husband of all goddesses of fortune, the director of all sacrifices, and therefore the leader of all living entities, the controller of all intelligence, the proprietor of all planets, spiritual and material, and the supreme incarnation on the earth, the supreme all in all, be merciful upon me. Since Shukadeva Goswami is one of the prominent Gata Vyalikas, who are freed from all misconceptions. He therefore expresses his own realized perception of Lord Sri Krishna as being the sum total of all perfection, the personality of Godhead. Everyone is seeking the favor of the goddess of fortune, but people do not know that Lord Sri Krishna is the goddess, is the beloved husband of the goddess of fortune. In the Prama Samhita, it is said that the Lord, in his transcendental abode, Goloka Vrindavan, is accustomed to herding the Surabi cows and is served there by hundreds of thousands of hundreds of thousands of goddesses of fortune. All these goddesses of fortune are manifestations of his transcendental pleasure potency, Ladini Shakti. In his internal energy, and when the Lord manifested himself on this earth, he partially displayed the activities of his pleasure potency in his Rasalila just to attract the conditioned souls, who are all after the phantasmagoria pleasure potency and degraded sex enjoyment. The pure devotees of the Lord, like Shukadeva Goswami, who was completely detached from the abominable sex life of the material world, discussed this act of the Lord's pleasure potency, certainly not in relation to sex, but to relish a transcendental taste inconceivable to the mundaners who are after sex life. Sex life in the mundane world is the root cause of being conditioned by the shackles of illusion. And certainly Shukadeva Goswami was never interested in the sex life of the mundane world, nor does the manifestation of the Lord's pleasure potency have any connection with such degraded things. Lord Chaitanya was a strict sannyasi, so much so that he did not allow 
any women to come near him, not even to bow down and offer respects. He never even heard the prayers of the Devadasis offered in the temple of Jagannath because a sannyasi is forbidden to hear songs sung by the fair sex. Yet, even in the rigid position of a sannyasi, he recommended the mode of worship preferred by the gopis of Vrindavan as the topmost loving service possible to be rendered to the Lord. And Srimati Radharani is the principal head of all such goddesses of fortune. And therefore, she is the pleasure counterpart of the Lord and is non-different from Krishna. In the Vedic rituals, there are recommendations for performing different types of sacrifice in order to achieve the greatest benefit in life. Such benedictions as the results of performing great sacrifices are, after all, favors given by the goddess of fortune and the Lord being the husband or lover of the goddesses, goddesses, goddess of fortune is factually the Lord of all sacrifices also. He is the final enjoyer of all kinds of yajna. Therefore, yajnapati is another name of Lord Vishnu. It is recommended in the Bhagavad Gita that everything be done for the yajnapati, yajnartat karmana. For otherwise, one's acts will be the cause of conditioning by the law of material nature. Those who are not freed from all misconceptions, vyalikam, perform sacrifices to please the minor demigods. But the devotees of the Lord know very well that Lord Sri Krishna is the supreme enjoyer of all performances of sacrifice. Therefore, they perform the Sankirtan Yajna, Shravanam Kirtanam Vishnu, which is especially recommended in this age of Kali. In Kali Yuga, performance of other types of sacrifice is not feasible due to insufficient arrangements and inexpert priesthood. We have information from the Bhagavad Gita 3.10 through 11 that Lord Brahma, after giving rebirth to the conditioned souls within the universe, instructed them to perform sacrifices and to lead a prosperous life. With such sacrificial performances, the conditioned souls will never be in difficulty in keeping body and soul together. Ultimately, they can purify their existence. They will find natural promotion into spiritual existence, the, rea the real identity of the living being. A conditioned soul should never give up the practice of sacrifice, charity, and austerity in any circumstances. The aim of all such sacrifices is to please the Yajyapati, the personality of Godhead. Therefore, the Lord is also Prajapati. According to the Katta Upanishad, the one Lord is the leader of the innumerable living entities. The living entities are maintained by the Lord. Eko bahunam yo kaman. The Lord is therefore called the Supreme Bhuta Brit, or maintainer of all living entities. Living beings are proportionately endowed with intelligence in terms of their previous activities. All living beings are not equally endowed with the same quality of intelligence because behind such development of intelligence is the control of the Lord, as declared in the Bhagavad Gita 1515. As Paramatma, Supersoul, the Lord is living in everyone's heart, and from Him only does one's power of remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness follow. One person can sharply remember past activities by the grace of the Lord, while others cannot. One is highly intelligent by the grace of the Lord, and one is a fool by the same control. 
Therefore, the Lord is Dhyampati, or the Lord of Intelligence. The conditioned souls strive to become lords of the material world. Everyone is trying to lord it over the material nature by applying his highest degree of intelligence. This misuse of intelligence by the conditioned soul is called madness. One's full intelligence should be applied <clears throat> to get free from the material clutches. <clears throat> but the conditioned soul, due to madness only, engages his full energy and intelligence and sense gratification. And to achieve this end of life, he willfully commits all sorts of misdeeds. The result is that instead of attaining an unconditional life of full freedom, the result, excuse me, uh, the mad conditioned soul is entangled again and again in different types of bondage and material bodies. Everything we see in the material manifestation is but the creation of the Lord. Therefore, he is the real proprietor of everything in the universes. The conditioned soul can enjoy a fragment of this material creation under the control of the Lord, but not self-sufficiently. That is the instruction in the, in the Ishobanishad. One should be satisfied with things awarded by the Lord of the universe. It is out of madness only that one tries to encroach upon another's share of material possessions. The Lord of the universe, out of his causeless mercy upon the conditioned souls, descends by his own energy, Atma Maya, to reestablish the eternal relation of the conditioned souls with him. He instructs all to surrender unto him instead of falsely claiming to be enjoyers for a certain limit under his control. When he so descends, he proves how much greater is his ability to enjoy, and he exhibits his power of enjoyment by, for instance, marrying 16,000 wives at once. The conditioned soul is very proud of becoming the husband of even one wife, but the Lord laughs at this. The intelligent man can know who is the real husband. Factually, the Lord is the husband of all the women in his creation, but a conditioned soul under the control of the Lord feels proud to be the husband of one or two wives. All these qualifications as the different types of pati mentioned in this verse are meant for Lord Sri Krishna, and Shrikadeva Goswami has therefore especially mentioned the pati and gati of the Yadu dynasty. The members of the Yadu dynasty knew that Lord Sri Krishna is everything, and all of them intended to return to Lord Krishna after he had finished his transcendental pastimes on the earth. The Yadu dynasty was annihilated by the will of the Lord because its members had to return home with the Lord. The annihilation of the Yadu dynasty was a material show created by the Supreme Lord. Otherwise, the Lord and the members of the Yadu dynasty are all eternal associates. The Lord is therefore the guide of all devotees, and as such, Shukadeva Goswami offered him due respects with love-laden feelings. It is the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, who gives liberation. By thinking of his lotus feet at every second, following in the footsteps of authorities, the devotee in trance can see the absolute truth. The learned mental speculators, however, think of him according to their whims. May the Lord be pleased with me. The mystic yogis, after a strenuous effort to control the senses, may be situated in a trance of yoga 
just to have a vision of the super soul within everyone. But the pure devotee, simply by remembering the Lord's lotus feet at every second, at once becomes established in real trance because by such realization, his mind and intelligence are completely cleansed of the diseases of material enjoyment. The pure devotee thinks himself fallen into the ocean of birth and death and incessantly prays to the Lord to lift him up. He only aspires to become a speck of transcendental dust at the lotus feet of the Lord. The pure devotee, by the grace of the Lord, absolutely loses all attraction for material enjoyment. And to keep free from contamination, he always thinks of the lotus feet of the Lord. King Kulishekar, a great devotee of the Lord, prayed, Krishna Tadviya Pada Pankajapancharantam Adhyayeva Me Vishutu Manasaraja Hungsa Prana Pranaya Samaye Kapavata Pitai my Lord Krishna, I pray that the swan of my mind may immediately sink down to the stems of the lotus feet of your Lordship and be locked in their network. Otherwise, at the time of my final breath, when my throat is choked up with cough, how will it be possible to think of you? There is an intimate relationship between the swan and the lotus stem, so the comparison is very appropriate. Without becoming a swan or paramahamsa, one cannot enter into the network of the lotus feet of the Lord. As stated in the Brahma Sanghita, the mental speculators, even by dint of learned scholarship, cannot even dream of the absolute truth by speculating over it for eternity. The Lord reserves the right of not being exposed to such mental speculators. And because they cannot enter, cannot enter into the network stem of the lotus feet of the Lord, all mental speculators differ in conclusions. And at the end, they make a useless compromise by saying, as many conclusions, as many ways, according to one's own inclination, yata rucham, but the Lord is not like a shopkeeper trying to please all sorts of customers in the mental speculator exchange. The Lord is what he is, the absolute personality of Godhead, and he demands absolute surrender unto him only. The pure devotee, however, by following the ways of previous acharyas or authorities, can see the Supreme Lord through the transparent medium of a bona fide spiritual master, Anupashyati. The pure devotee never tries to see the Lord by mental speculation, but by following in the footsteps of the Acharyas, Mahajano Yena Gatasa Pantha. Therefore, there is no difference of conclusions amongst the Vaishnava Acharyas regarding the Lord and the devotees. Lord Chaitanya asserts that the living entity, Jiva, is eternally the servitor of the Lord and that he is simultaneously one with and different from the Lord. This tattva of Lord Chaitanya is shared by all four sampradayas of the Vaishnava school, all accepting eternal servitude to the Lord even after salvation. And there is no authorized Vaishnava Acharya who may think of the Lord and himself as one. This humbleness of the pure devotee who is 100% engaged in his service puts the devotee of the Lord in a trance by which to realize everything. Because, hmm, that's interesting, this humbleness of the pure devotee, who is 100% engaged in his service, puts the devotee of the Lord in a trance by which to realize everything. 
because to the sincere devotee of the Lord, the Lord reveals himself, as stated in Bhagavad Gita 10.10. The Lord being the Lord of intelligence in everyone, even in the non-devotee, favors his devotee with proper intelligence so that automatically the pure devotee is enlightened with the factual truth about the Lord and his different energies. The Lord is revealed not by one's speculative power or by one's verbal jugglery over the absolute truth. Rather, he re reveals himself to a devotee who is fully satisfied by the devotee's service attitude. Shukdev Goswami is not a mental speculator or compromiser of the theory of as many ways, as many conclusions. Rather, he prays to the Lord only, invoking his transcendental pleasure. That is the way of knowing the Lord. May the Lord, who is the beginning of the creation, amplified the potent. May the Lord, who in the beginning of the creation, amplified the potent knowledge of Brahma from within his heart and inspired him with full knowledge of creation and of his own self, and who appeared to be generated from the mouth of Brahma, be pleased with me. Purport, as we have already discussed herein before, the Lord, as the supersoul of all living beings, from Brahma to the insignificant ant, endows all with the required knowledge potent in every living being. A living being is sufficiently potent to possess knowledge from the Lord in the proportion of 50 sixty-fourths, or 78% of the full knowledge acquirable. Since the living being is constitutionally part and parcel of the Lord, he is unable to assimilate all the knowledge that the Lord possesses himself. In the conditioned state, the living being is subject to forget everything after a change of body known as death. This potent knowledge is again inspired by the Lord from within the heart of every living being, and it is known as the awakening of knowledge, for it is comparable to awakening from sleep or unconsciousness. This awakening of knowledge is under the full control of the Lord. And therefore, we find in the practical world different grades of knowledge in different persons. This awakening of knowledge is neither an automatic nor a material interaction. The supply source is the Lord himself, Dhyambati, supply source. For even Brahma is also subject to this regulation of the Supreme Creator. In the beginning of the creation, Brahma is born first without any father and mother, because before Brahma, there were no other living beings. Brahma is born from the lotus, which grows from the abdomen of Garbhadakshai Vishnu, and therefore he is known as Aja. This Brahma, or Aja, is also a living being, part and parcel of the Lord. But being the most pious devotee of the Lord, Brahma is inspired by the Lord to create, subsequent to the main creation by the Lord, to the agency of material nature. Therefore, neither the material nature nor Brahma is independent of the Lord. The material scientists can merely observe the reactions of the material nature without understanding the direction behind such activities, as a child can see the action of electricity without any knowledge of the powerhouse engineer. This imperfect knowledge of the material scientist is due to a poor fund of knowledge. The Vedic knowledge was therefore first impregnated within Brahma, and it appears that Brahma distributed the Vedic knowledge. Brahma 
is undoubtedly the speaker of the Vedic knowledge, but actually he was inspired by the Lord to receive such transcendental knowledge as it directly descends from the Lord. The Vedas are therefore called aparusheya, or not imparted by any created being. Before the creation, the Lord was there, narayana paruvyaktat, and therefore the words spoken by the Lord are vibrations of transcendental sound. There is a gulf of difference between the two qualities of sound, namely prakrita and aprakrita. The physicist can deal only with the prakrita sound, or sound vibrated in the material sky. And therefore we must know that the Vedic sounds recorded in symbolic expressions cannot be understood by anyone within the universe unless and until he is inspired by the vibration of supernatural aprakrita sound which descends in the chain of disciplic succession from the Lord to Brahma, from Brahma to Narada, from Narada to Vyasa, and so on. No mundane scholar can translate or reveal the true import of the Vedic mantras, hymns. They cannot be understood unless one is inspired or initiated by the authorized spiritual master. The original spiritual master is the Lord himself, and the succession comes down through the sources of parampara as clearly stated in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. So unless one receives the transcendental knowledge from the authorized parampara, one should be considered useless, vipala mata. Even though one may be greatly qualified in the mundane advancements of art and science, of arts and science. Shukadeva Goswami is praying from the Lord by dint of being inspired from within by the Lord so that he could rightly explain the facts and figures of creation as inquired by Maharaj Prikshit. A spiritual master is not a theoretical speculator like the mundane scholar, but is Shotriyam Brahmanishtam. May the Supreme Personality of Godhead who enlivens the materially created bodies of the elements by lying down within the universe and who is who and who in his Purusha incarnation causes the living being to be subjected to the 16 divisions of material modes which are his generator be pleased to decorate my statements as fully as a fully dependent devotee Shukadeva Goswami, unlike a mundane man who is proud of his own capability, invokes the pleasure of the personality of Godhead so that his statements may be successful and be appreciated by the hearers. The devotee also thinks of himself as instrumental for anything successfully carried out, and he declines to take credit for anything done by himself. The godless atheist wants to take all credit for activities not knowing that even a blade of grass cannot move without the sanction of the Supreme Spirit, the Personality of Godhead. Shukadeva Goswami therefore wants to move by the direction of the Supreme Lord who inspired Brahma to speak the Vedic wisdom. The truths described in the Vedic literatures are not theories of mundane imagination, nor are they fictitious, as the less intelligent class of men sometimes think. The Vedic truths are all perfect descriptions of the factual truth without any mistake or illusion. And Shukadeva Goswami wants to present the truths of creation not as a metaphysical theory of philosophical speculation, but as the actual facts and figures of the subject, 
since he would be dictated to by the Lord exactly in the same manner as Brahmaji was inspired. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita 15.15, the Lord is himself the father of the Vedanta knowledge, and it is he only who knows the factual purport of the Vedanta philosophy. So there is no greater truth than the principles of religion mentioned in the Vedas. Such Vedic knowledge or religion is disseminated by authorities like Shukadeva Goswami because he is a humble devotional servitor of the Lord who has no desire to become a self-appointed interpreter without authority. That is the way of explaining the Vedic knowledge, technically known as the Parampara system or descending process. The intelligent man can see without mistake that any material creation, whether one's own body or a fruit or flower, cannot beautifully grow up without the spiritual touch. The greatest intelligent man of the world or the greatest man of science can present everything very beautifully only in, in so far as the spirit life is there or in so much as the spiritual touch is there. Spiritual touch. Therefore, therefore, the source of all truths is the Supreme Spirit and not gross matter as wrongly conceived by the gross materialist. We get information from the Vedic literature that the Lord himself first entered the vacuum of the material universe and thus all things gradually developed one after another. Similarly, the Lord is situated as localized paramatma, in every individual being. Hence, everything is done by him very beautifully. The 16 principal creative elements, namely earth, water, fire, air, sky, and the 11 sense organs, first developed from the Lord himself and were thereby shared by the living entities. Thus, the material elements were created for the enjoyment of the living entities. The beautiful arrangement behind all material manifestations is therefore made possible by the energy of the Lord, and the individual living entity can only pray to the Lord to understand it properly. Since the Lord is the supreme entity, different from Shukadeva Goswami, the prayer can be offered to him. The Lord helps the living entity to enjoy mature creation, but he is aloof from such false enjoyment. Shukadeva prays for the mercy of the Lord. Not only for for being helped personally in pre presenting the truth, but also for helping others to whom he would like to speak. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Srila Vyasadeva, the incarnation of Vasudeva, who compiled the Vedic literatures. The pure devotees drink up the nectarian transcendental knowledge dropping from the lotus-like mouth of the Lord. In pursuance of the Specific utterance, Vetase, or compiler of the system of transcendental knowledge, Srila Sridhar Swami has com commented that the respectful obeisances are offered to Srila Vyasadeva, who is the incarnation of Vasudeva. Srila Jiva Goswami has agreed to this, but Srila Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur has made a further advance, namely that the nectar from the mouth of Lord Krishna is transferred to his different consorts, and thus they learn the finer arts of music, dance, dressing, decorations, and all such things which are relished by the Lord. Such music, dance, and decorations enjoyed by the Lord are certainly not anything mundane, but because the Lord is addressed, because the Lord is addressed in the very beginning as para or transcendental. The transcendental knowledge is unknown 
to the forgotten conditioned souls. Srila Vyasadeva, who is the incarnation of the Lord, thus compiled the Vedic literatures to revive the lost memory of the conditioned souls about their eternal relation with the Lord. One should therefore try to understand the Vedic scriptures or the nectar transferred by the Lord to his consorts in the conjugal humor from the lotus-like mouth of Vyasadeva or Shukadeva. By gradual development of transcendental knowledge, one can rise to the stage of transcendental arts of music and dance displayed by the Lord in his Rasa Lila. But without having the Vedic knowledge, one can hardly understand the transcendental nature of the Lord's Rasa dance and music. The pure devotees of the Lord, however, can equally relish the nectar in the form of the profound philosophical discourses and in the form of kissing by the Lord in the Rasa dance, as there is no mundane distinction between the two. And we'll just take a few reflections or questions at this point. And if you don't mind, we maybe could see the Zoom room. Haribo. I like the point where what beautifies a material entity, whether living or non-living, is a spiritual touch. And there's this, there's a, there's a concept of connecting with the Supreme called a Johavit, which means calling them again and again. And that's what really engages our spiritual touch by calling Krishna again and again. Thank you. Beautiful. Hi, Paul. What else did you hear? Yes. Um, I, I was reflecting on the point that um, in the age of Kali, uh, Sankirtan is the best one. Uh, like Sankirtan process is the best for spiritual practices as the regular um, regular Karmakanda activities is difficult to perform as um, so in particular I would like to share a reflection that for one of my friends they were trying to uh, do a specific process uh, but we were not able to find the priest for the process and finally they have to um, like they could not do it 100% right so uh, I was just uh, correlating to the statement that was mentioned by Prabhupada, that it in, in Kali Yuga it's difficult to do all those uh, uh, like process which, uh, which is difficult. Um, and also I have a question that uh, we, uh, like so we have the super soul inside our heart and we also have three modes of material nature like uh, sattva, uh, sattvic, rajas and tamasic. And, um, so whenever a person tries to act in that direction, does the super soul has any involvement in that uh, act or it's only the person's intelligence is doing it? For example, if I try to do good for others um, or based on any situation, if that person is not uh, trying to act in response to whatever action he has been gone through, uh, does the super soul has any involvement with that, like judging him, hey, do this or don't do this, or it's just watching it and the person himself is doing for, based on the reactions. Is the yes. Okay. It has something to do with it. Okay. 
So don't do it. Um, uh, Bhagavad Gita, 18th chapter, Krishna mentions there's five factors to every action. And one of those factors he mentions is the super soul. He says, and ultimately the super soul. Of course, Krishna, as he's described previously, is all of the elements together, every, not as Prabhupada quoted here, not a blade of grass moves without the will of the Supreme. And therefore, indirectly, he's engaged in assisting living entities in various ways through his multifarious energies. Parasya shaktir vivadai vishuyate, kriyacha. All the various energies come from Krishna, and so they're assisting the living entities either in their endeavor to enjoy the material nature or their endeavor to become Krishna conscious. So you'll find also in the 13th chapter of the Gita, Krishna is uh, mentioned as the overseer and the permitter. So he oversees all the various ways in which the living entity moves in the material nature, and ultimately he permits them to do that. Bhagavatam, asau gunamaya bhavir bhuta sukshmendriyatvabhi svanirmiteshu nirvishto bhunte bhuteshu tadgunan at the end of uh, a particular creation of the world, everything's wound back up in the body of Mahavishnu. And when uh, Mahavishnu breathes out again, yes, shaika nishvasitakala matavalambya jivanti loma villajajakadandanata vishnur mahansa iha yasya kala visheshu govindamadi purusham damahambhajami. Then all those living entities come back out into the material nature to take up where they left off before. And who is it who reminds them what they were doing in the last uh, creation? Can be only Krishna, as stated in the verse, that there's nobody else there at that time. The living entities become manifest. So Krishna is there to remind them where they took off, what their present karma will be again, how they'll take up, up where they left off and to continue. So the simpler answer is yes. But that's some evidence from other areas of the Shastra. Yes, Gandharvika Radha, please. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Uh, I was, uh, this, this sentence just caught my attention and there is so much meaning in this. Mm. <clears throat> in verse 21, Prabhupada says that the Lord is revealed not by one's speculative power or by one's verbal jugglery over the absolute truth. Rather, he reveals himself to a devotee when he is fully satisfied by the devotee's service attitude. So I was also thinking how in Nectar of um, Instruction also Prabhupada tells in the preface that the success of a devotee in Krishna consciousness depends on his attitude. So... And uh, so many lectures, you also mention how everybody loves the servant. Nobody likes the master. So this developing this service attitude helps one to uh, know everything about uh, Krishna. So that sentence um, <laughs> caught you. my attention. Really. Yes, it's a universal principle. When the, in the relationship between an inferior and a superior, the only way to know the superior is through the right attitude, because the superior is not 
obligated to reveal anything unless there's a sense of trust and then later on love that's when there's full rev revelation when you love somebody then they're they'll reveal everything but other than that they're not obligated if you try to pry it out of them they may even become more tight-lipped <laughs> if you have the wrong attitude so that's why bhakti is the only process through which uh, as Krishna says, bhakti mam abhijananti yavanyashasmi tatvataha tatvato tatvato gya das vishite taranantaram. Sorry. That verse mentions that bhakti is the process only through which one can understand the absolute truth and enter into his nature. Yes. Please make sure it makes flowing. So nobody has to get up. Unless you want to get up. Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Uh, in the verse 22nd, we read that a living being is sufficiently potent to possess uh, knowledge from Lord in proportion of 50, 64th or 78%. Could you please talk about that? Like where does that 78% come from? As I mentioned in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita, although we give a very simple analogy that there's the ocean, it has certain elements, and then if you take one drop out of the ocean, there'll be the same elements, just in smaller quantity. The, um, the commentaries there point out that even in that case, the living entity is, doesn't have all the qualities of the Lord. Just as in mentioning Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Rupa Goswami describes how Krishna has four more qualities than Narayan does, even though Narayan has more qualities than Lord Shiva. Then Krishna, he has four special qualities that nobody else has. He has the most qualities. Those qualities are that he's, he has very intimate, friendly uh, servants, who are in, imbued with a, a, a natural friendly love, that, that he uh, has amazing pastimes, especially his childhood pastimes that we sing about on Dhammarash, when we sing Dhammarashtakam, that um, he plays a flute. Nobody else plays a flute. Narayan doesn't play a flute. And what's the last one? And his beauty. His beauty is unparalleled. Nobody is as beautiful as Krishna. People see him, they can't take their eyes off him. And they curse the creator for making their eyelids blink. If you can imagine that kind of beauty, then you're thinking of Krishna. So with the speak of the living entities, then they have similar qualities as Krishna, but not the same quantity. Okay. Uh, we have, okay, Bhakti Roman, that's who, that's who that is. Okay, Bhakti Roman. Oh, Hare Krishna Maharaj. Uh, Hare Krishna. I, have a, I, I have a question. Uh, it was uh, energy of Krishna mentioned, uh, named by uh, Hladini Shakti. And uh, by studying Krishna book and uh, watching the Mahab Mahabharata, so the same when uh, uh, 
even Yashoda Ma, he opened the Krishna Ma's and he see the entire universe in there. And it says that he used the, and she started to philosophically think about Krishna as the supreme personality. And then it says, oh, and Krishna covers mom with that energy. And she starts thinking about him as of mother too. Is that the Khaladini Shakti energy which he uses for people to enjoy him? So the category of energy that's mentioned in the, the past times you just cited is called Yoga Maya. So Krishna okay. has two potencies. Actually, they're the same potency, but they act differently according to the person interacting with them. There's Yoga Maya or Maha Maya. So these are the uh, potencies through which either a living entity in the material world who's covered by Mahamaya forgets who he is. In fact, if you grab a 10th canto, four, 14th chapter, near the last section, you can hear how Brahma mentions that is there anything a living entity can't forget when he's influenced by Mahamaya? <laughs> And in the beginning of the Bhagavatam, Tejo Vari Mardam Yata Vinimayo Yatra Tri Sharago Mursha, even the Devas uh, are bewildered by the Mahamaya, uh, the the external energy of the Lord. And it's what Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita when he says, Daivahiesha Gunamayi, Mama Maya, Duratyaya, Mamevaye Prapadyante, Mayamitam Tarantite. The living entity who's in the material world is covered by my divine nature. However, there's also the internal potency through which living entities are uh, covered in the sense that they forget Krishna's godhood. Because when one's aware of Krishna being God, how can one have a friendly or sweet relationship with him? And therefore, yoga maya, in one of her features, suppresses the opulence of the Supreme Godhead and he becomes a coward boy. He appears to be a coward boy. He appears to be Yashoda's son, son of Nanda, or the friend of Subala, or a lover of the gopis, and so forth. And um, Sometimes the two energies act simultaneously. For instance, you'll find when Duryodhan was chastising Vidura and calling him a useless person because he was so envious. Did you find it? Uh, near the end. It's about how Maya, is there, who can't be bewildered, something like that. Then Duryodhan chastised Vidura because he was an envious person. That is, Duryodhan was envious. And Vidura then took it as an opportunity to leave home because sometimes you need a good excuse to break away. You're just waiting for it. It's like, that was it? <laughs> I'm out of here. And so Vidura said, Vidura walked out. And he said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give everything to Krishna. And he put his bow and arrow down. He was a Kshatriya, and he went out on pilgrimage. And so then uh, Prabhupada mentions how the anger and envy of Duryodhan was controlled by the Lord's... You found it? Okay, that's big, that's big points. 
Thank you very much. Uh, that was controlled by the material energy or Mahamaya, whereas Vidura's inspiration in that same instance, in the instance in the same room, was being directed by Yoga Maya. So these uh, potencies of the Lord. Sometimes Prabhupada describes it as there's electricity. Sometimes it makes heat. And sometimes it makes cold. In fact, if you get one of those, like I have, Japanese heaters, coolers, it's either hot or cold. It comes out of the same machine. So Hladini, uh, the Hladini Shakti is different. So there's three major potencies that are mentioned in, an, in another context. And those are the Sundani potency, and then there's the Samvit potency and Hladini potency. So Samvit means the, the knowledge potency of the Lord, through which anyone can know anything. It's coming from Krishna, and that's what we've been hearing about. And Sundani potency means how anything is maintained and takes shape, like anything in this material world has a, has a maintenance. We're sitting on a floor. How is that happening? We're on a planet that's hurtling through space, but we're somehow being maintained. So that potency uh, is in the spiritual world through which all different aspects of for Krishna's enjoyment are maintained. And that potency specifically comes from Lord Balaram. And then Hladini Shakti is the Lord's pleasure potency through which he enjoys. And that comes from Srimati Radharani, who's the arbiter of the Hladini Shakti. Those three Shaktis, by the way, when perverted in this material world, become the three qualities, goodness, passion, and ignorance, which cause Hladatapatraya. Jiva Goswami says, they inflict uh, misery on us instead of giving pleasure. The Hladini Shakti, which is the ultimate bestower of happiness in the spiritual world, here in this material world, causes ultimate misery, or the utmost misery. And so there's, there are these, uh, there's this conversity that takes place uh, through the perversion of the energy. You enter into the what was it Alice went into? A rabbit hole? Did Alice go in a rabbit hole? Yes. She went in the rabbit hole and everything was... I haven't read it in a while, but it's, I think it was... Everything was reversed down there? Yes. Okay. So we went down the rabbit hole sometime. Thank you. And everything's opposite. Welcome to opposite world. Okay, we'll take one more. Is that right? Roman? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Maharaj. Sure. Really uh, fulfilled my you know, okay, desire to know. <laughs> All right. That's the Samvit potency. Hare Krishna, John. Uh, this is a simple but also vague question. Um, is is the desire to know Krishna at all um, considered service? Yeah, it's definitely inspired by if it, it to, to inquire about Krishna or to have that impetus to know Krishna. Um, 
it's, I mean, technically, it's not a service, but it's it's spiritual because that's the beginning of knowing everything about Krishna. That's why the Vedanta Sutra, which is a summary of all the Vedas, starts off with a Tato Brahma Jignata, which is ask about Brahman, you know, try to know Krishna. And Krishna himself, in the four nutshell verses of the Gita, says, Eithavad uh, Brahma Somebody? Tattva Jignasa Natmana Yad Anvaya Teritaschad Yovashishesa Sospyaham. Sorry, I mangled the verse. Etavad Eva Jignasa Tattva Jignasa Natmana Anvaya Vyatareka Bhyam Yatsyat Sarvata Sarvata. There it is. It's uh, Krishna saying that you should, Etavan Eva Jignasa, up to this, you should inquire about the Supreme Personality of Godhead in all times, in all places, in all circumstances, both directly and indirectly. And so that's a, it's a, it's an instruction Krishna gives. So if one follows that instruction, it's a kind of service. And it's spiritual through and through. Okay, we have time for one more. Okay. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. I have a question um, related to that 70, 78% of the knowledge that uh, one can be awarded. And what are the criteria, um, like in proportion, how it's awarded? Is it, um, is it correct that it's um, uh, in according, according to the um, surrender, how one is surrendering to Krishna, in that proportion it will be awarded? Or is it? Yes. Uh, as one becomes purified, one naturally then uh, begins to manifest uh, one's spiritual qualities. Yes, yes. Bhaktir Bhagavatiya Kinchana Sarvaragunas Tatra Samasate Sura Harava Bhaktasa Kuto Mahatguna Manorati Nasati Davato Bihi 5.18.12 Bhagavatam says that, you know, by performing devotional service, then the natural uh, good qualities of the living entity become more and more manifest. So as we apply ourselves to devotional service and become purified, then naturally those qualities will shine forth all the way up to 78%. And some of them are mentioned in the Shastras. They're, they're actually really nice to hear. The other day, I think on bhakti on on a monday night we read first of all the, a list from the 16th chapter of the bhagavad-gita in which krishna describes the qualities of a saintly person and then there are qualities listed which are those that um, manifest in a pure devotee there are qualities listed by chaitanya Mahaprabhu, sanatana goswami that uh, appear in somebody who's uh, reached the level of bhava, like shantir avyarta kalatvam, virakti manashunyata, asabanda samutkanta, 
Namagani, Namagani Sadaruchi, he says, there's a sense of um, quality that a person is tolerant. Like Parikshit Maharaj was cursed to die. He said, oh well, it's Krishna's mercy. Abhyartakalatwa means a person won't waste any time. And then Virakti means completely detached from everything material. Manashunyata means free from man, any hankering from uh, things from the material world. Asabandha, samutkanta, and a person's always eager to uh, know Krishna. Namagani, staruji, always attached to the holy name. So there are many, many uh, lists. Titikshava karunika surida sarvadehinam ajatra satrava santa sarva sarabhushana. Kapiladev says these are the qualities of a sadhu, and he lists titikshava karunika, mercy, tolerance, so forth. So all those become naturally manifest in someone who's advancing in the process of devotional service. They're already there, but they're covered. So now we'll read a few more. Ready? Okay, only three people. Everybody else, cover your ears. Okay. O King, although the... Oh, sorry. I didn't uh, read your verse, but luckily I have it right here. Here it is. Thank you for finding this. This is from 10.14.44. Kim kib, kim kim na vismaran, mis, vismarantiha maya mohi tachetasa Yan mohitam jagat sarvan abhikshnam vismritatmakam. Yet there it is. What indeed is not forgotten by those whose minds are bewildered by the Lord's illusory potency? By that power of Maya, this entire universe remains in perpetual bewilderment. And in this atmosphere of forgetfulness, no one can understand his own identity. You want to hear it again? Yes. Kind of explains a lot, right? <laughs> what indeed is not forgotten by those whose minds are bewildered by the Lord's illusory potency? Would that be Mahamaya or Yoga Maya? By the power of that Maya, the entire universe remains in perpetual bewilderment and in this atmosphere of forgetfulness, no one can understand his own identity. Purport, it is clearly stated here that the entire universe is bewildered. Thus, even great demigods like Indra and Brahma are not exempt from the principle of forgetfulness. Since Lord Krishna exercised his internal illusory potency over his cowherd boyfriends and calves, it's not at all astonishing that for one year they could not remember their position. Indeed, by the Lord's external poten illusory potency, the conditioned souls forget their existence not only for one year, but for many billions and billions of years as they transmigrate through the kingdom of ignorance called the material world. Case closed. My dear King, Brahma, the firstborn, on being questioned by Narada, exactly appraised him on his, this subject as it was directly spoken by the Lord to his own son, who was impregnated with Vedic knowledge from his very birth. As soon as Brahma was born of the abdomen 
abdominal lotus petals of Vishnu, he was impregnated with Vedic knowledge, and therefore he is known as Vedagarbha, Vedagarbha, or a Vedantist from the embryo. He was a Vedantist from the embryo. Where did you go to school? Well, in the womb, I started. Without Vedic knowledge or perfect, infallible knowledge, no one can create anything. All scientific knowledge and perfect knowledge are Vedic. One can get all types of information from the Vedas, and, and as such, Brahma was impregnated with all perfect knowledge so that it was possible for him to create. Thus, Brahma knew the perfect description of creation, and it was exactly a appraised, apprised to him by the Supreme Lord Hari. Brahma, on being questioned by Narada, told Narada exactly what he had heard directly from the Lord. Narada again told exactly the same thing to Vyasa. And Vyasa also told Shukadev exactly what he had heard from Narada. And Shukadev was going to repeat the same statements as he had heard them from Vyasa. That is the way of Vedic understanding. The language of the Vedas can be revealed only by the above-mentioned disciplic succession and not otherwise. There is no use in theories. Knowledge must be factual. There are many things that are complicated, and one cannot, one cannot understand them unless they are explained by one who knows. The Vedic knowledge is also very difficult to know and must be learned by above, the above-mentioned system otherwise. It is not at all understood. Shukadev Goswami therefore prayed for the mercy of the Lord so that he might be able to repeat the very same message that was spoken directly by the Lord to Brahma or what was directly spoken by Brahma to Narada. Therefore, the statements of creation explained by Shukadev Goswami are not at all, as the mundaners suggest, theoretical, but are perfectly correct. One who hears these messages and tries to assimilate them gets perfect information of the material creation. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purports of the second canto, fourth chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam entitled, The Process of Creation. Sadhu, sadhu. Bravo. Bravissimo. Chapter 5, The Cause of All Causes. Haribo. Sri Nardamuni asked Brahmaji, O chief amongst the demigods, O firstborn living entity, I beg to offer my respectful obeisances unto you. Please tell me that transcendental knowledge which specifically directs one to the truth of the individual soul and the super soul. Good question, right? I mean, this is uh, setting it up perfectly for us to know everything. Purport, the perfection of the Parampara system or the path of disciplic succession is further confirmed. In the previous chapter, it has been established that Brahmaji, the firstborn living entity, received knowledge directly from the Supreme Lord, and the same knowledge was imparted to Narada, the next disciple. Narada asked to receive the knowledge, and Brahmaji imparted it upon being asked. Therefore, asking for transcendental knowledge from the right person and receiving it properly is the regulation of the disciplic succession. 
This process is recommended in the Bhagavad Gita 4.2. The inquisitive student must approach a qualified spiritual master to receive transcendental knowledge by surrender, submissive inquiries, and service. I'm sorry. The inquisitive student must approach a qualified spiritual master to receive transcendental knowledge by surrender, submissive inquiries, and service. Knowledge received by submissive inquiries and service is more effective than knowledge received in exchange for money. A spiritual master in the line of disciplic succession from Brahma and Narada has no demand for dollars and cents. Student loans, anyone? A bona fide student has to satisfy him by sincere service to obtain knowledge of the relation and nature of the individual soul and the supersoul. My dear father, please describe factually the symptoms of this manifest world. What is its background? How is it created? And how is it conserved? And under whose control is all this being done? The inquiries by Narada Muni on the basis of factual cause and effect appear very reasonable. The atheists, however, put forward many self-made theories without any touch of cause and effect. The manifested world, as well as the spirit soul, is still unexplained by the godless atheist through the medium of experimental knowledge, although they have put forward many theories manufactured by their fertile brains. Contrary to such mental speculative theories of creation, however, Narada Muni wanted to know all the facts of creation in truth and not by theories. Transcendental knowledge regarding the soul and the supersoul includes knowledge of the phenomenal world and the basis of its creation. In the phenomenal world, three things are factually observed by any intelligent man. The living beings, the manifest world, and the ultimate control over them. That's nice. In the phenomenal world, three things are factually observed in any intelligent man, by any intelligent man. The living beings, the manifest world, and the ultimate control over them. The intelligent man can see that neither the living entity nor the phenomenal world are creations of chance. The symmetry of creation and its regulative actions and reactions suggest the plan of an intelligent brain behind them. And by genuine inquiry, one may find out the ultimate cause with the help of one who knows them factually. What are the three elements known by an intelligent person? <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah. My dear father, all this is known to you scientifically because whatever was created in the past, whatever will be created in the future, and whatever is being created at present, as well as everything within the universe is within your grip, just like a walnut. Brahma is the direct creator of the manifested universe and everything within the universe. He therefore knows what happened in the past, what will happen in the future, and what is happening at present. Three principal items, namely the living being, the phenomenal world, and the controller, are all 
continuous action are all in continuous action, past, present, and future. And the direct manager is supposed to know everything of such actions and reactions as one knows about a walnut within the grip of one's palm. The direct manufacturer of a particular thing is supposed to know how he learned the art of manufacturing, when he got the ingredients, how he set it up, and how the products in the manufacturing process are being turned out. Because Brahma is the first born living being naturally, he is supposed to know everything about creative functions. We'll take a five minute break. We'll be back here at, at um, eight minutes before the hour. Haribo. You can go feed a cow. If you can find a goshella nearby, bring some bananas. My dear father, what is the source of your knowledge? Under whose protection are you standing? And under whom? And under whom are you working? What is your real position? Do you alone create all entities with material elements by your personal energy? It was known to Sri Narada Muni that Lord Brahma attained creative energy by undergoing severe austerities. As such, he could understand that there was someone else superior to Brahma, to Brahmaji, who, inve who invested Brahmaji, invested Brahma with the power of creation. Therefore, he asked all the above questions. Discoveries of progressive scientific achievements are therefore not independent. The scientist has to attain the knowledge of a thing already existing by means of the wonderful brain made by someone else. A scientist can work with the help of such an awkward brain, excuse me. A scientist can work with the help of such an awarded brain, but it is not possible for the scientist to create his own or a similar brain. Therefore, no one is independent in the matter of any creation, nor is such creation automatic. As, a, as the spider very easily creates the network of its cobweb and manifests its power of creation without being defeated by others, so also you yourself, by employment of your self-sufficient energy, create without another's help, without any other's help. Purport, the best example of self-sufficiency is the sun. The sun does not require to be illuminated by any other body. Rather, it is the sun which helps all other illuminating agents. For in the presence of the sun, no other illuminating agent becomes prominent. Narada compared the position of Brahma to the self-sufficiency of the spider, who creates its own field of activities without any other's help by employment of its own energetic creation of saliva. Six, whatever we can understand by the nomenclature, characteristics, and features of a particular thing, superior, inferior, or equal, eternal or temporary, is not created from any other source other than that of your Lordship, thou so great. Purport, the manifested world is full of varieties of created beings in 8,400,000 species of life, and some of them are superior and inferior to others. In human society, the human being is considered to be the superior living being, and amongst the human beings, 
There are also different varieties, good, bad, equal, etc. But Narada Muni took for granted that none of them has any source of generation besides his father, Brahmaji. Therefore, he wanted to know all about them from Lord Brahma. And we have till seven when we're starting the Dhammarashtakam, if I'm not incorrect. And so we'll just take a last few minutes for some reflection or question. Yes. Uh, in one of the texts where it said that uh, Brahmaji knows the past, present, and future, and then in Bhagavad Gita where Arjun says that it is only Krishna who knows the past, present, and future. So how do we understand these two? Well, Brahma is empowered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So the devotee of the Lord knows as much as, as the Lord empowers him to know. So in the, in the case of Brahma in his post, he, know, he needs to know a certain amount of past, present, and future in order to do his job. So Krishna empowers him from within. And otherwise, he's not omniscient like Krishna, but in various places, Prabhupada mentions that he's so empowered that he's almost like Krishna. But that's Krishna's arrangement. He can empower anyone to, to be... Um, you know, extremely um, potent in, in his or her service. Prabhu. I think this came up in Bhakti Vaiba that why is Narada asking Brahma when about who is the supreme creator when he is such an exalted devotee himself? Well, he's playing the role of his son. And, you know, we find such inquiries throughout the Bhagavatam, even already we've had such inquiries when the inquirer is asking for the sake of others. Although it's not specifically mentioned here in that case. It's uh, in an innocent voice of a son saying, Dad. <laughs> but it's a section that Kaviraj Goswami brings up again in the in the first uh, section of the of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, this conversation. Um, in any case, it's it, it's a, a it's a technique used by most inquirers throughout the Bhagavatam to ask simple questions for the basis ba for for the benefit of everyone. And Prabhupada even mentions that about Arjuna. Can I see your universal form? And Prabhupada says, well, he's doing it just for us and for all time to come so that you got to show your ID card to be God later on. All right. Hare Krishna. Malini. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Prabhu, um, when you're reading um, in, the, in the first half, um, I was thinking, you know, how, how Bhagavatam is not just that it was written by just somebody. Just, just, they just got an idea and they wrote the book. But how Shukadev Goswami was meditating so deeply um, and with the humility that whatever was revealed to Lord Brahma, please uh, let that, reveal, that be revealed to me so I can write this book. 
so I was just uh, appreciating the books that we have today has so, so they're so deep in knowledge and not written by any ordinary or mundane people like uh, people take it these days. Yes, and uh, it has so much flavor as well. I mean, we hear philosophical points that are profound, and then we also hear many details of the philosophy, like 78%. Where else do you hear such, <laughs> such details? 78% qualities of a living being. But those who hear Bhagavatam directly feel its potency. Same with Bhagavad Gita. It's palpable. And that's mentioned at the beginning of this canto that those who patiently hear the Bhagavatam will experience a change in heart just by listening to it, which becomes a proof for those who are listening to the Bhagavatam because it's self-effulgent. The effect is there. If you take a, um, a potent drug, you'll know when the effects start to manifest in your body and mind. Thank you.